electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, Apple has refused President Trump's request to build a backdoor to its encryption for law enforcement. CNBC's Squawk Alley anchor John Fort weighs in. The right way is to leave Apple alone. The government's being lazy. The ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governance Business Strategy, a debate between investors about sustainability-focused portfolios. They don't care at all about the profitability of these companies. We're not here to battle the cultural wars. We're here to manage our clients' money in the best way we can. And Ben & Jerry's has teamed up with Netflix. Grab a spoon. Guess what the name is. Those stories and so many more. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Thursday, January 16th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We are learning more about one of the most discussed moments from Tuesday night's Democratic debate. Cameras actually caught this uncomfortable moment between Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. He reached out his hand to shake her hand. She pulled her hand back. CNN has now released the audio of that confrontation that was previously inaudible for television viewers. Thank you a liar on national TV? I think you called me a liar on national TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion, we'll have that discussion. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it now. I don't want to get in the I just want to say hi, Bernie. Yeah, good. (laughs) Okay, uh, that was uncomfortable. Uh, It was uncomfortable all the way. Was that Steyer? It was Tom Steyer. Good move. In the middle of it. Perfect, Tom. He just went over to shake hands. I I know. (laughs) In the middle of this, that was perfect, him being there. People look at this as a demonstration, one way or the other, of, of what it means to be a leader, how do you approach each other. I saw, you know, there are people who re- reacted by saying... I got that, too, on um, Twitter. How, how did she... You know, I have a, should she be doing that on that side? And then did he respond the way he should have? I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it was very interesting to sort of it's see... It's awkward, how but the, the bigger question is, if one of them drops out, do their supporters go to the other? And that's right. the major question. If you can take the block of both of their voters and put them together, that's a pretty um, decisive part of the Democratic Party. Right. If you can't put them together because their supporters are mad at the other one, then that, they each have their own problems. Did you have a... Uh, if you did a poll with a your Twitter... No, with what? your Twitter... My Twitter... Followers are, are Bernie people for some They're reason. They're Bernie people. They were I like furious. How, I, they were furious at the at the whole thing. I like and the they, way he, they're bringing up all the past things she said about her father being was, a janitor him, and all the way this he stuff. responded more than I liked the way she, I, I thought the whole thing was unseemly. The real question I had: you was, gotta, Do yeah. you think that she knew going in that she was wearing a microphone? That she, well, of course she knew she was wearing the microphone, but whether she did it for the moment and she, that she thought it was actually to her. And that it would inert her benefit. And I'm not sure it did, by the way. Right. That, um, that to me was sort of, you know, the calculus of knowing the cameras are on, 
thing is going, yeah. and you're the first thing you're going to do is go over and call me a liar and think, is that going to get the play that you want? Does it make me look better to look like I'm upset or, with or you? Or was she just angry? Does it look like I'm groveling to the, you? But the what question is, was it, was it real or was it, I mean, it, it could have just was been real, real, raw emotion. Right. Yeah, and all, real raw emotion. There are, those, I, there are those that worry that the far left party suffered from that, that both of them, yeah, if you one can't of them If you can't combine their voters and say that they act as a voting bloc, that is an issue. I think it was or the other thing, I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but I thought it was interesting that Chief Justice Roberts is wondering whether OK Boomer indicates uh, discrimination. And Age discrimination. Yeah, and everybody laughed. I mean, it was, it was said as a joke, but he actually brought it up in the Supreme Court, and the term OK Boomer was sort of bandied back and forth among the justices. The justices. <laughs> and they were laughing. I don't know what they're laughing about because it's obviously age. Derogatory Just, age discrimination. Yes. <laughs> obviously age discrimination. Okay. So, okay. You should be such a good... I mean, to me, I think about the greatest generation. They're my boomers, yeah. sort of. And they're still around. I mean, the, the boomers haven't replaced the... You know, just enjoy it while you can because time <laughs> passes really quick, Sorkin. You think you're Mr. Generation. What are you, Mr... Generation we? something. Gen X. We're X together. Yeah. We have some news just out. CNBC learning that the shared workspace company WeWork um, only signed four leases in the fourth quarter after its failed IPO. That represents 184,000 square feet of leasing space. It's a drop of 93% from the 2.5 million square feet it had been averaging for the prior four quarters. That according to data that real estate firm CBRE shared with CNBC and... Um, if it's to be expected, given how much right they were math. growing. seems bad. Though. Well, wait, 184,000 square feet of leasing space is more than a drop of 93% million. So the, the, the question is, and I think the issue is, that this company had been growing so fast and, frankly, too fast. No, my uh, point is just the math's not right on that. That's a drop of more than 93%. Oh, yes. To go from 2.5 million to 184,000 square feet. Yes. That's, like, cataclysmic. It, it would be, unless you, unless you, I mean... The question is whether they felt like they had overextended themselves so much earlier right. that what you would do is you dial the whole thing back, which is what I think which is happening. Which is what's probably happening. And I think what's going to happen over the next two years, I imagine, is you're not going to see them taking new space virtually anywhere. I think what they really have to do is Just try to grow the into... Pay, shrinking the footprint continually? I think, it's, I think what you're going to see, I think you're going to see two things happen. One is you're going to see them reduce the amount of leases that they have in their entirety. Mm-hmm. Two, it's going to become much more like a hotel company. They are effectively going to be the services layer on top of other people who are going to have, who are going to rent the space themselves. So you're going to have people, you're going to have real estate companies who are going to bring them in um, and they will effectively, like a Marriott, somebody else will own the real estate and they will effectively not be, I don't want to say getting out of the real estate, but I think to the extent they're going to grow, it's going to look much more like a hotel company and especially outside of the biggest major markets like New York and L.A. and London and other places. I think that actually is 7%. 186,000 divided by 2.5 million is 7%. Is 7%? Okay. 7% is 93% down, yes. And 93% decline to, okay. An update now on the antitrust fight over the Sprint T-Mobile merger. Lawyers have delivered their final arguments, and the U.S. District Judge has now promised to try to render a decision as soon as possible. Wall Street, though, nervous about the outcome. Shares of Sprint are trading at more than 40 percent discount to the value of T-Mobile's all-stock deal, which is now worth about $34 billion, so signaling maybe 
that this isn't going to happen. We will see. And what happens well, and that raises all if kinds it of doesn't happen? If it doesn't happen, what does that mean about the states versus the federal? You can look at a million different places where right. the states and the federal are not on board. It starts with this. It looks at mergers and, act- and acquisitions. Right. But you can even go all the way to legalization of pot. Uh, there has to be from kind a, of a, a very philosophical, yes. Or if you want to look at the admission the stand, admissions this, yes. standards from California versus the federal right. government at this point, it makes it really complicated for businesses right. to try and figure out the lay of the land. They want one set of right. regulations they have to follow, whatever they may be. So that's the legal piece. I then think if the deal doesn't happen, does Sprint even exist? What happens to SoftBank and Masasan? Um, right, does another, it, does it kick off a completely Asasan. new round of M&A? Does, do cable providers, by the way, like our parent company and others, start looking to try to buy Sprint? Or does right. T-Mobile all of a sudden become up for grabs? I mean, the whole thing sort of gets uh, thrown up for grabs. Do you think that Wall Street as a whole can get nervous about something? I mean, yes. do you think it gets... I, I think skeptical might be better. I don't. Skeptical. Do we anthropomorphize the... I, the, I don't know. I think, I think Wall Street was nervous about... Is there anxiety? About, well, I, think there I don't want to be... Deal. Like, nervousness, maybe? Yeah, I, I think maybe so. there was nervousness and anxiety about the trade. My own, neur- my own neuroses. My, I, could, I could put it in my own category. <laughs> I, it, but I saw that you didn't... That wasn't your word. You, that was in the... Someone else came up with that. But I could see how you would... I mean, are you nervous about this? As you know, uh, I'm just an actor. I just read the words. I know, but about the Sprint Burgundy? T-Mobile deal, are you, are, do you have some anxiety? And I, said that for a I have a little I'm bit. I'm going to explain Ron Burgundy in a minute. It relates to another story. You really do have anxiety about that deal. You really got to get out more. You, you, uh, I haven't thought about the Sprint T-Mobile deal, but but I will. I will. I'll come back to you with a lot of implications, as Becky said. You're right. Huge legal right. implications, right. not okay. just for telecom. But I'm going to come whole, back to you with, with an emotion. for businesses. Yeah, I'm going to do this story. And right? you're wearing fancy sneakers, by the way. I just let me. Can we just say? You used to give me a hard time for wearing fancy sneakers. Can I explain, please? They were a gift. No, not until he mocks you a little longer. They were explained. They were a gift. And Hold on. Folks, they're Gucci. No, but wait a minute. They're Gucci sneakers, people. Mac, these are national championship sneakers. The Tigers versus oh, the Tigers. I wonder okay. why the Tigers. Okay. okay, okay. Yeah, that would be one thing. If there were Vans, I'd get, I'd get it. Can I explain to you, you can that try. I'm a Vans person. I'm a Vans person. And my last Vans got sold that I needed to replace it. And I also was not allowed to really leave the house with my wife if I was wearing those. To go anywhere, anywhere. So <laughs> I would like have to change. Cargo pants. So I got these, she got these, and yes. said, these feel like Vans, but the, I love yes. them, and you can wear them to, to go, go out to dinner. To I'm allowed to wear them. They look cool. Yeah, I'll sell them to you. They're for sale if you... You want to trade mine? No. I don't like that. I, I can't reach down anymore. I, I, yeah, I can't. He doesn't, he doesn't yeah. like I can touch my toes, but... I have to bend my knees, unfortunately. Anyway, an update now on a story that uh, we told you about on Monday about a Japanese billionaire search for a girlfriend uh, to take the space. She's got to be 20. I mean, I thought that was good that he did that at least. You know what I mean? He's got some uh, principles. With, uh, there he is. Anyway, it's uh, Yusaku Mazawa is set to be the first private passenger on a SpaceX flight around the moon. He's producing a documentary that will follow him as he looks for a girlfriend to join him on the space flight. Uh, the streaming surface that will air the documentary says applications to be his girlfriend have topped 20,000. Good Lord. Uh, the application site features a love diagnostic test where entrants can test their compatibility with the billionaire. Some of the questions include, if you rode in a private jet, where would you go? And if Meizawa farted in front of you, uh, <laughs> what would you say was one of the questions? Uh, if he's he a billionaire, <laughs> if it was a billionaire and you wanted to marry, you'd probably say, God, I love when you do that. I, that was a really good one. 
Uh, I don't know. That's I it. thought when it said, when it said what in the project. Read the teleprompter. Read, I'm reading it. I thought which seat, I, I was right? Say, That's what I thought. Which seat would right, you sit in? That's what to I make sure you're not that, yeah. you're just, well, that, that, that depends on the second question, if, you know, where you want the person to sit, probably. Um, yeah. I don't think he's probably think, looking for somebody to say everything. I mean, it sounds on your it way. sounds crazy, but you know what goes on in my house where, and once again, I, I leave the room, but for a second, I'm like clockwork orange. Is the bachelor or the bachelorette? Those people get married. I mean, they're on TV. It's a they reality TV don't. show. I know, but some of them actually they find do. their life partner on a TV show, which seems to. Why that, is that any different than finding somebody in a bar when you've been drinking? There was a time when uh, that was a bet that's like, you met on an online dating site? No, no, I got picked up at a bar. No, I did not. But now it's, now it's, the, now it's yeah. the obvious. Yeah. Or now it's the, the, the opposite. Yeah. All right, All right let's try this. story's uh, melting. Clam-flavored okay. ice cream. Ben & Jerry's may have been the original ice cream disruptor, coming on the scene decades ago with a quirky edge. Now it's trying something new, perhaps to reinvent itself or prevent itself from being disrupted by an upstart boutique ice cream company. It's teaming up with Netflix to create a new flavor. It's called, yeah, you guess it, Netflix and Chilled, perhaps illustrating what even iconic brands have to do to stay relevant in today's market. It's not just that. Look, Ben & Jerry's has always been on the forefront Mm -hmm. of any of the big cultural scenes that are out there. Ron Burgundy, they have a scotchy, scotch, scotch flavor that's out there from that. They have uh, a Saturday Night Live skit. I guess it was Alec Baldwin, Sweaty Balls, that they have one of those flavors that's in it, too. Um, So they're always looking. Cherry Garcia. Okay, so this is is pretzel and fish food. Just so everyone knows, pretzel and peanut butter. Yeah. Good. It's good. The worst peanut what butter else? ice cream. The other it's question got, I had got was, brownies in it, too. Is there a... So do you think that they have to license the Netflix name? Does, does Netflix get a piece of the... I think it's a collaboration. Netflix would just let them do it. I think it's it, a right? collaboration. Or they just do it as a marketing It's got collab. the Netflix on it, so it must. It's got the logo. Yeah. But... Interesting that this is happening when there are so many streaming services out there. This has been You're a going to be an Apple Plus ice cream? I think there should be a Peacock one because you can do it with lots of different Ooh, colors and flavors. Good idea. Today is the launch right. of Peacock. The yes. So I think in honor of sugar. that. Remove sugar. Or the investor day, I should say, not the launch. Today's the right. investor Ben and Jerry's has been at the forefront. They, they've even, yeah. they were early in on, on socialism, right. those two dudes, right? <laughs> I mean, they got, I think it's a for-profit company, barely. I, I think they, uh, it's Vermont too, right? It is Vermont, yeah. Bernie, Bernie land, who I like now. Uh, yeah, all my all my Twitter people were on his side. I'm not really so sure why. Like I don't really like him because you liked how he reacted. I think I, you did. I felt bad. I, like I I don't really know whether he really ever would have said that. You know what I mean? So it seems like a weird uh, right. Can you? Admit? I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, okay. he's Defeat. genuine. That's one thing about him. He's genuine. He's cranky. Very cranky. All that's why you like him. That's yeah. kind of like a, I met Kindred, him on, on the Acela. Yeah. Yeah. We talked to him, and he was cranky about getting a selfie with him. So. We, ident- we identify. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Tim Cook's refusing to provide a backdoor to iPhone encryption, even at presidential request. CNBC.com tech editor Steve Kovac. They've wanted this backdoor for years and years, and they see this as another opportunity to kind of force Apple's hand. That's right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
straight up an Andrew Carr. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thank you. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Apple uh, courting controversy this week. Its privacy battle with the Trump administration was reignited over its refusal to let officials access uh, the iPhone um, of that Pensacola gunman. You might know it was something that we asked Treasury Secretary Mnuchin uh, about yesterday. It is absolutely critical for our technology companies to cooperate with law enforcement. Um, th- this is a complicated issue. We're not looking for our technology companies to be controlled in any way by the government. Uh, we-, we are looking for cooperation, and there's areas where Apple does cooperate, and I know there's ongoing areas uh, of concern that are also being discussed. Joining us now for a look at uh, Apple's legacy, John Fort, co-anchor of CNBC's Squawk Alley, uh, and Steve Kovac. He is tech uh, editor for CNBC.com and the author of a new article on Tim Cook's impact on Apple since taking over for Steve Jobs uh, nearly 10 years ago. Do either of you have a clear-cut, definitive answer that doesn't have any nuances for what the, the right way to approach this is for Apple? Uh, yes. You do? Yeah. <laughs> I think Would the you? right the encryption is good. The right way is to leave Apple alone. The government's being lazy. Investigations That's too what hard. I say. So we're just going to sacrifice that, your civil. But that you can't say that because people yeah, say you to need say. to help. Yeah, you with, bring me on to say yeah. the things you're not supposed to say. But if Apple creates this back door, then China is going to say, "Oh, well, that's nice." Iran's going to say, "That's a beautiful back door." Yeah, Turkey, hand it over. Same thing, right? Once you create that, so instead, you know, government and government agencies do the hard work, figure out how to break into things instead right. of insisting that all the lock companies in the U.S. Right. compromise. That's, By the way, there's there's not a lock, right? It, it, it just doesn't exist at this point, I thought. A backdoor? Uh, a backdoor? No, yeah. a backdoor doesn't exist, but lockpicks exist. There are constantly companies who are trying to come up with these things. Back with the San Bernardino case, like there, was there was an Israeli, Israeli company. company that- you know, the government was pushing this with Apple, and then at the last minute said, oh, wait, we found somebody who can break in, so never mind. Now they're bringing it up again. Well, I don't think it's just about them being the government being lazy. It's a little disingenuous because these are older iPhones that there's a lot of evidence out there that they can already crack into it. There's already the technology out there through those third parties that you were talking about, those lock picks. And so what they're really doing is challenging. They've wanted this backdoor for years and years, and they see this as another opportunity to kind of force Apple's hand. I don't think Apple's going to stand down. John and I were talking about this earlier. T- Tim Cook, it was reported in the New York Times yesterday right. that he was willing to resign over this if the board said, no, we got to play nice with the FBI. They will go as far as they can with this. Tim Cook really believes in it. Well, the flip side, though, is, you know, Tim Cook, as we've discussed, has had this sort of, he's threaded this needle, had this great relationship with the president. And what this does to that relationship if William Barr continues down this road and is William Barr really after a pre- is, it, what, is this really about trying to set a precedent? Is that what he's trying to do here more than anything else? Uh, maybe it is. I, I don't know. It's a dangerous precedent because this is a government that hates back doors except the ones that it has access to. What are they upset That's with Huawei government. about? Back doors. Right. The whole allegation is, oh, well, they're cooperating with the Chinese government to create back doors to their technology. That should not be allowed. But Everybody around the, the world. The question is, if Tim Cook persists. Yeah. Is it dangerous for Apple? Is it dangerous for Apple when it comes to other issues, frankly, related to trade, related to phase two, related to all of these things? No matter what Tim Cook does in this situation, it's dangerous for Apple. So, so the way Apple tends to play these things is we're going to go with what we think is best for the customer, come what may. right? Because, I mean, if he cooperates with uh, Trump and the administration, 
that's dangerous, he thinks, for the promise that he's made to consumers and what he thinks is technologically correct. It puts their whole security posture uh, on a bad footing. If he doesn't, then he risks getting taken to court. Next time he needs the government's uh, assistance in something, maybe he doesn't get it. It's sort of a catch-22. So I guess my question was like sort of a leading question that there is no correct answer. I, I would answer it the way you answered it, but I don't know if that does it for everyone involved. I think maybe it's nuanced. And, and actually, I thought Mnuchin threaded it pretty well yesterday. He yeah. was like, there's a way... And, and McCarthy, there was McCarthy. I think Kevin McCarthy, and what Leader McCarthy said. also said yeah. something yesterday. Yeah, I want privacy, but if push comes to shove, we, and we can find something oh, out McCarthy's about terrorists. McCarthy's from California. He gets it with, yeah, with right, these tech companies. Well, you are, where are you from? From? Yeah. I'm from everywhere, Joe. Born right. in New York, lived <laughs> yeah, in California very, for 14 There's years. a lot of zen things going on yeah. here uh, today. Went okay. to college in the Midwest. I'm just, I'm all over the place. You are? Okay, good. That's good. Good. That's, that's me too. Thank anyway. you, gentlemen. Great Thanks. to see you both. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, the letter from BlackRock founder Larry Fink has sparked debate on Wall Street. Is a sustainability-focused investment strategy profitable or even feasible? I think Larry Fink is making a mistake. Two investors spar on strategy. We're not politicians. We're investment advisors here. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Earlier this week, Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, wrote a letter publicizing a fundamental shift in his firm's investment philosophy, a shift towards sustainability-focused money management. He then joined our own Andrew Ross Sorkin for an exclusive interview about this decision. We believe a portfolio that focuses on sustainability and climate change will be a portfolio that outperforms. So the main component of the letter is saying this is going to be a great investment over the next 10 years. If you missed any of that interview or it was just so fascinating that you need to hear it again, you can listen to Tuesday's Squawk Pod. We break the whole story down for you there. For now, though, let's talk Wall Street reaction. Environmental, social, and governance investing, or the ESG strategy, is a hot topic in business, especially now. We asked Hal Lambert, CEO of PointBridge Capital, about his perspective. Spoiler, he's not a fan. Some context on Hal, he started a Make America Great Again ETF, nicknamed MAGA. For balance, we also asked Ken Taubes. He's a fan of the ESG strategy, a big one. He's the chief investment officer of Amundi Pioneer Investments, one of the first movers on the ESG thesis. Here's Andrew kicking off the debate. Hal, I want to start with you. Uh, You think that Larry Fink is making the wrong decision here. 
Well, what, what the American people need to understand is that there's been a war going on against American companies for at least the past 20 years. It started with a small group of left-wing agitators. It's mushroomed into hundreds of 501c3 companies funded by the usual sources that have gone after the boards of these companies to try to affect policy changes that they can't get passed legislatively through Congress or through state legislators that conform to their view of the world. And let me tell you, they're winning. There's only a couple of groups on the, on the right that are pushing back on this. So while the rest of America has gone to work every day trying to pay their bills, Companies have adopted new policies, these social responsibility policies, and now they're using those policies to implement things like defunding, you know, Congress people that don't agree with those positions, trade organizations that don't agree with the positions. And let me tell you, these left-wing groups don't have any, they don't care at all about the profitability of these companies. They only care about what's happening in their social responsibility world. So, yes, I think Larry Fink is making a mistake. If you look at, you know, what, he's, what he said in your interview, Andrew, the, there were two big red flags in that interview. The first was he said that, hey, when he was writing this new letter on his social responsibility compact of sustainability that he's doing with his investments on the firm level, he was very emotional as he wrote it. <laughs> well, why do you want an investment manager who's emotional about the investment decisions he's making? The second red flag on this was that you asked him, and this is the biggest one, you asked him about ERISA's uh, mandate that you have to focus on the, the profitability that, of creating the highest investment returns for your investors. And he said, yes, he knows about that. He wishes he could change it. So he actually said he wishes he could change that mandate that you have to focus on creating the highest returns for your investors. Those are really troubling signs from a company that's now managing trillions of dollars for investors. Hey, Ken, uh, obviously you, I, I, I know you take the other side of this, but, but speak to the economics of it, because at least my understanding of the way Larry uh, Fink was trying to describe it was he was saying that he was doing this on behalf of the clients and that he was being pushed by the clients to do it and doing it because he thought it was a better investment. Well, thank you, Andrew, and good morning. Um, look, we're not politicians. We're investment advisors here, and uh, this is something we've been doing for almost 20 years at Amundi Pioneer without the heat of politics. You know, hold the presses, uh, activists who uh, have been trying to affect politics for hundreds of years, and nonprofits have been trying to affect their goals and manage uh, their, pro uh, their uh, activities in ways consistent with their objectives are now trying to use their money, uh, have their money invested in a way consistent with their goals. I don't think that's uh, so, so out of line. I, in fact, uh, we're happy to uh, advise and manage those kinds of uh, clients that want their money managed in a certain way that has a certain impact. But of course, that's not the way we manage our mainstream open-end mutual funds, where we have all comers from all right. parts of the country it, it, with it, all different types of Just a question, just, just to get to the, the, the original point, though. In the culture wars, are you offering funds? Uh, it's, a war has two sides, typically. So in the culture wars, are you offering funds that appeal to both sides in all the culture wars? I mean, it, we haven't decided on a lot of these contentious issues uh, that we're talking about. So Larry Fink has his own predilections, his, you know, he gets emotional thinking about his perceived uh, f the future that he thinks we're facing for whatever reason. There's other people that don't feel that. Do you have funds that, that, that someone that, that might have the opposite viewpoint might want to invest in, or just that one progressive side of everything? 
Well, we, we don't have funds that have a political objective uh, for opening uh, mutual funds. Well, no. We, we, let me, if I can make, make my point, we're not here to battle the cultural wars. That's battled in, you know, democracy. We're here to manage our clients' money in the best way we can. And, in fact, when you look at some of the criteria uh, that are out there in the, the nomenclature of ESG, or environmental, social, and governance, they're real, it's not an investment style. They're just another set of criteria to be used right. in order to judge the 360-degree prospects of a company. Let me give you an example. Fracking is a very controversial cultural war item. You keep talking about the cultural wars. You know, I have a view, you have a view, everybody has views on fracking. That's not the way we invest. What we do with fracking is, what is the risk to the company? There are parts of the United States where fracking is perfectly well accepted, and there's no regulatory changes going on. Colorado voted down changes. Texas, it's open season. However, in Pennsylvania, they're making changes. So what's the risk to our, our companies that have most of their properties in Pennsylvania, which can have severe regulatory? Right. It's not that I have right. a view. It's that the democracy is changing. Well, we let have me just, to react to it. Ken, and a final word to Hal here. Just speak to that issue, though, because and one of the things that Larry Fink did say was that he believes there's a new generation, whether it's millennials or otherwise, who are going by default, at least directionally, to want to invest more in what might be described as, so, as, as, as sustainable companies. They're going to be implementing regulations like this that are affecting the way Ken and others are thinking, Hal. Well, that may be, but there are millions of Americans that don't have that view. And, you know, when you asked Larry Fink uh, in your interview about those people that don't ha share that view, he didn't have a very good answer because what do you do? He said, oh, well, we'll, we'll work for them, too, but only if you have, what, hundreds of millions of dollars that you can do a separate account with? All their funds appear to be going towards sustainable investing, which many people don't agree with. So what do you do then? Are you going to have to move your money out of BlackRock if you don't agree with that investment approach? Because the, I don't see an alternative to that. And look, this is much deeper than trying to pick a fracking company or not a fracking company. This is an attack on c companies around the country to change policies at all the companies. And by the way, if you think you're a private business and you're going to be immune to this, you're not. They're forcing these companies at the public level to also look right. at their suppliers and say, hey, Hal, are your suppliers conforming to this? Hal and Ken, uh, it is a debate that I know will continue, and I imagine uh, we'll have you both back to discuss it. Thanks so very much, guys. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show, plus a little extra, right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.